There's a mystery afoot! In honor of Death on the Nile, what film would be better with Jessica Fletcher solving the mystery? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and uh, Nightmare Alley, I don't know if it would ever be a great movie, but I would just imagine her in that beautiful office with Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper. That couldn't go wrong. What's the mystery of that film? You know, what uh, Richard Jenkins is up to. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with, dude, where's my car? She could find the car. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to go with Memento, but just to see Jessica Fletcher tattooing herself with key information. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm going to go with Inherent Vice, because I think it would be fun to see Jessica Fletcher just stoned out of her mind on the beach, man. Just talking about the 70s and doing drugs and solving crimes. There is kind of an episode like that where she has to pretend to be a kind of floozy at a bar and she plays Ooh, drunk oh. and she's wearing like a very skimpy outfit. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and you have <laughs> you had taped that when you were young and wore that sucker out. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 379. It's Pandemic 99. It's the week Ooh. of Wednesday, February 9th. Whoa. Uh, it's, that's the day that in 1964, the Beatles played on the Ed Sullivan Show. I feel like we might have done this one before. Snooze. Probably. There's lots of weird uh, Confederate history that happened on uh, oh. February 9th, but that's not real because history. Because of that's the Beatles? History. Oh. No. No. Just on February 9th in history. I'm sorry. Let's not cancel all loser history, because I feel like that would erase most of my life from the record books. And don't lump me in with the Confederacy. Silo <laughs> <You know, laughs> away the Confederacy into its own category and preserve the sanctity of loser history. Fair uh, enough. Well, speaking of loser history, are we losers right now with no reviews, or are we winners? Oh, I thought you were going to say. Um, well, they're not mutually David. exclusive categories, Katie. We are wow. we are losers with reviews, uh, which is not to impugn the reviews yeah. that we have received and I have yet to read. But just uh, you know, I don't think getting getting the reviews absolves us of our loserness. Uh, certainly not in the Amy Heckerling sense of the word. Remember, loser. Remember oh, loser? I do. played on Comedy Central all the time. Yeah, Jason app. Biggs great still app. has first dibs on Mina Suvari's eggs, as says the title card at the end of that film, an all-timer. Uh, Darby Act says, amazing, great film podcast. Time for my eighth annual Fighting in the War Room review. Woo. Burr, 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 klaxons. 2021 was a rough year for me. I even fell down for the first time in many years. Oh. Fell, fell down. I, mean, I, I would love to unpack that and get a little bit elaboration. I can explain it. I hope you're okay. Okay. Uh, I hope they're okay either way, but here were some highlights. David wrote a review of mine on Fighting in the War Room, and already doing that again in 2022, so off to a banging start. Katie Rich read a text on Little Gold Men. Katie, pressure's on. Dave wow. Seven read and answered a question of mine on the Storm's mailbag. Uh, and Patches, well, I don't think he reads things on podcasts. Uh, Darby Act, Patches actually does not know how to read, so no, no. don't take it personally. Uh, but in all honesty, the work you four do make things easier for many of us. Thanks. Looking forward to a better 2022, aren't we all? Uh, thanks so much for leaving your eighth annual Fighting in the Room review. We look forward to your ninth. I wonder how many of the 778 reviews we seem to have, according to iTunes, were written by you. A annual would imply just one a year, but 
But I think you update your, it, right? Isn't that what in. happens? You can only write yeah. one. You update your. That's true. You update your review. Uh, well, I look forward uh, to next February when Darby Act. Wait, yeah, were we getting a fall down 2022? Were we getting an yeah, explanation of falling down? Oh, so um, it's something that I shared with my Storm podcast people, but that's uh, the my um, like yearly New Year's resolution is to not fall down because it's mm. semi-controllable and it's also very important no matter what your age group. Like mm-hmm. whether you're young or whether you're old, you don't want to be falling down. So I feel well, if you're like a it, toddler, falling down is kind of part of it. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, if you're if you're of the age where you don't want to unintentionally fall down because you might hurt yourself, uh, having that as a New Year's resolution, it has you, I think, walking safer. So just yeah. don't clear, fall down. This is a reference to the Storm podcast on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, well, as you could hear, hear from okay. that person's review, they listen to all of our stuff. Uh, well I will say that the Storm podcast has been going for several years now and I still it's over David can't hear it's it's, whatever (laughs) I still can't hear its title without without thinking that it is something to do with white nationalism Uh, I'm like really Dave really going down that route but you know what he does in his time is his own business yeah Um, we we were before that unfortunately Um, like, like how we started quarter quells, uh, ripping off the Hunger Games, which no one knew about it's yet. Exactly and like it. That. Exactly it's exactly like that. Exactly. White nationalists on the Hunger Games. Oh, there's probably white could, nationalists who love the Hunger Games. I was about to probably. say, if we could just thread the needle, cut out the middleman, and, and connect those two ends, we'd really be safe. <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally, our second and final review this week is from Tyler Durden 99. Uh, of all the years to be a Tyler Durden, I'd say a pretty good yeah, that's one. That's a peak year. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty darn good, says Tyler Durden 99. Four, four stars. So reservations not quite at the top of the mountain somewhere at, at Camp 4. As I have just found this podcast today, we will see if my wow. rating changes as I continue listening. So far, I'm totally into it. I appreciate that they don't talk over one another much. Keep it up. Well, I have good news and I have bad news. <laughs> the, the good news is we are making a very direct, personal, person-to-person plea to you to uh, stick with us and maybe bump it up to that fifth star. Shouting you out by name on what must be the second episode of the show you've ever heard. Not bad. Mm-hmm. The bad news is that we talk over each other all the time. And uh, <laughs> I hope you get used to it or else you're not yep. going to be here for long. We make no guarantees um, that you'll continue shut to be up, Katie. with your service there. Uh, <laughs> if, the, if you're out there and you're listening and you'd like to read, you'd like to hear us talk about you, read your fine words on the show, uh, help you indulge in that parasocial relationship that you may just be starting to form. And maybe even reverse it. Maybe we'll have a parasocial relationship with you. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Go on iTunes. Leave us a review in Fighting on the War Room. We'll read it live on the show. We'll be fighting in the War Room. In. 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 We fight on and in. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows the technology these days. So there's a we whole fight onward. All the prepositions. Uh, be- beating ceaselessly back into the now, Let's beat ceaselessly like Matt Patch is watching Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> let's, let's beat ceaselessly onward to this episode. I was born ceaselessly into the past. It? it is born ceaselessly, but I, I'm running with it. You decoding man, you send you up. Reason calling nine to nine two zero. All right. So, as we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of different pandemics tonight, uh, but we're going to start with uh, the unfortunately still real one, 
It's time for another pandemic check-in. Not only is media light, but uh, my other three co-hosts, uh, when I um, woke up this morning and saw David's tweets about his daycare suddenly closing, I'm like, oh, all three of them got the children. Going to be another so, one of those. It's going to be another one of those. Oh, we have it. We what? have a Yahtzee. We're all we're all in this boat right now. Uh, yeah, all three of us have Great. children at home. Wow, that, I think that is the first time that's happened. So I figured, why not another pandemic check-in? What sort of media things that you're comfortable talking about have you discovered <laughs> with your children at home? All again for this new surge. Go ahead, Katie. Uh, it's finally time to talk about Encanto, which uh, my younger child always insists is called Encanto. So I have Americanized Tatane. it when I talk about it. Forgive me when I have Tatane <laughs> is the tit- is the Tatane of the uh, preschool set, you could say. Uh, mm. Yeah, we've watched this movie every, every day, almost every day. Mm-hmm. We've at least listened to it or watched it every day for a month. Plus, right there with you. Came... That's what the Plus yep, and Disney started, Plus came... is about. Plus, you can uh, watch it, it every is, single yeah. day for the rest of your life. <laughs> For the, re- for the rest of your life. And when you're not watching it, you'll have the music stuck in your head. Um, it is a big TikTok hit because if we don't talk about Bruno, um, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's rolling our house goes beyond that. I don't feel like I have an objective opinion on it anymore because I've seen it so many times. Although I do think it's good. I think it is a very high, qu- like, it's a high quality animated movie. And I know Dave has opinions on the an- style of animations, but like we're watching like the new directed Disney plus Ice Age movie also is what's Oof. happening right now. And Jesus Christ, the different like I don't know anything about animation, but it's very easy to see the difference in that. Um, but here's my my quibble on Encanto, and you can only get to this if you've listened to the music a hundred times. Three different songs use the word hurricane, and I think that's too many. I think that's lazy. Mm. And Lamola should have gone back and figured out. I mean, you say that as someone whose local hockey team currently, is, you know, atop the Metropolitan <laughs> well, if he's, Division. If it's in tribute the to Rangers, the Raleigh, the North Carolina Hurricanes, then fine. But so in the also, in, yeah. in Mirabelle's song, Waiting on a Miracle, she says, I can't um, control the morning rain or hurricane. And then in What Else Can I Do? There's famously a hurricane of Hakarandas. And then in We Don't Talk About Bruno, there's Married in a Hurricane. And it's just too many times to use that one oh, word. And there's a whole song in Hamilton called In the Eye of the Hurricane. I was which means say, it Miranda needs to give well it a rest. <laughs> don't you think nope, he's... he's got to move on. I don't know. He's kind of half-assed in it on this one. As me- like, I think the earworm factor of it almost makes me think it's a little lazier and a cash-in. I like the music. And I really wow. love the movie. But I think there's something a little lazy about Encanto from the Lynn perspective. He's just doing so I mean, much I, work right now. He just like he had three movies last year, yeah, all with original I songs. I wonder how much of that. I wonder how much of that is you bringing the the greater context into the equation. I have not heard until uh, your audio just crapped out and Katie and Dave played me the opening bars of We Need to Talk About Bruno. I have not seen this movie. I had not somehow heard that song. My son is not old enough yet to want to watch anything besides the movie Babies. Uh, he made it through 10 minutes of March of the Penguins. We'll get to me later. But the um, <laughs> uh, I, I, from the outside, am so impressed that Lin-Manuel, you know, in any capacity, had this monster hit in a year where he was doing nine other things. Right. Um, he had an and amazing some of them, year. I mean, like that, the Netflix movie, the animated movie, not Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, Vivo? Vivo, yeah. We've not watched, so oh, Vivo was the movie that was on every day in our house before it was in Kanto. Mm. Uh, so but I have a tic- strong compare and contrast for those two. Although I will say that there there is one big song in Vivo that is better than the songs in Canto. Wow. But I'm a big fan of Tick, Tick, Boom. And, uh, you know, everyone seems to love Encanto. It was certainly the song has become a sensation. The movie is really good. And, it was really know, good. good it's got good voice acting well, I, in it. Yeah, I mean, what, when I say what? it's lazy, I'm not saying it's it's necessarily lesser quality. I think 
Lin-Manuel Miranda possesses an amazing songwriting talent. I just think the the level of earworm, I mean, every, I just saw today that every single song is currently on the Billboard Top 100. Every single one, which means it's just being streamed over and over and over again. Now, is it the Coco Melon of uh, Disney Audio and Spotify streams because, I don't know, it's the only new thing to listen to and every kid is hooked? Or... I. I I seriously because no children are in school. Anymore. I wake up in the middle of the night singing the Encanto them. songs. Wait, They're really that deeply the, that Omicron and the wait. So how does this make them lazy? Shutdowns are a conspiracy by Disney to get parents. To That's right. Kids on Encanto. They yeah, that Lin Manuel sure is pulling oh, all the Joe strings. Rogan over here. Okay, we're not. This, he's just asking <laughs> I, questions. Listen, I'm I'm just I'm just asking <laughs> questions. You can you're free to do your own research, Patrick. I do worry pulled out Spotify. I worry that I'm going to associate Encanto with this period of my life and therefore never want to watch it again once we're out of this. It'll just immediately remind me of being trapped inside with my kids who never go to school anymore. But so, I will say, oh, oh, I'm pretty sure my parents are like done with Lion King and Aladdin. Like this <laughs> always happens. This ha- This is a. This is not why Disney's so time? successful. Um, t- well, that, no, that's what I, no, because we had the tape or the CD. I don't even fucking remember at this point for Lion King, and my mom would babysit me and my brother and the two neighbor kids and we would divvy up songs like a broadway show and like characters <laughs> and everybody would learn their parts and we would sing like the whole score on like while driving i'm sure it drove her insane uh, yep. to answer your question katie can laziness is the, uh, is is a reductive way of putting it, i suppose it's just like i think he can write hooks that are very simple and almost like mathematical uh there is complexity to to hamilton and some of his other work uh even in the heights that makes the songs less memorable and more complicated and more story driven and these are just it's like just bangers uh it's really feels kind of like pumped out in that make a hit kind of way um and they just drive themselves into my brain like i can't stop humming the hooks now it might drive me loony but for my kid we're putting on shows every night. Like this is a complete success from the child creativity standpoint where somehow these quick moving lyrics are being memorized. The hooks are danceable and like she's memorizing every beat. Like I'm shocked that this is, I'd much rather go deep into Encanto than Frozen, which I think the music in Frozen is pretty inane. Um, And, and like, and I don't know. There's no depth there. There's no rhythm. There's no. I like the music in Frozen more yeah. than the plot. Uh, but like Bruno, I think is a really complex song. It's yes. like this huge hinge moment in the story. It's got like five different characters who get across like their story that's never anywhere else. Like Dolores, who has like an entire arc that's expressed basically in that song, and then at the end of the movie, and it's got all these earworm hooks, and it like sets up like this big pivotal scene. Like it, that song does a lot of work that is not just hooky. Yeah, I mean, the one plus of Encanto is that it feels more like a Broadway musical than a lot of other yeah. Disney movies that have attempted that, you know, we've been calling mm. Disney movies musicals for ages. None of them really function like that. Uh, my colleague Petrana wrote a great piece on Polygon this week about how the final song Encanto is, is, feels like minor Disney history because it's like the actual ending of a musical where different people's mm-hmm. songs are colliding and you get this final song moment. Frozen does not give you a final song moment. The last song in Frozen is the Trolls song, which absolutely blows. No, the structure of Frozen is insane. It's strange. Like, this is a it, the, the this is a movie that so little knew that it was doing that it cast Jonathan Groff and then didn't give him a song. Like they, that's, <laughs> that movie's a mess. 
He sings to his reindeer. Um, yeah, and Kanto, I'm back and forth. I'm like, is this a nightmare that I will keep reliving? Is this my Groundhog well, first Day? Of all, or is yes, this a it's it's your Groundhog Day, but it's also it's your Sondheim stepping stone now, bro. Mm-hmm. If she could pick this up, then she's gonna. Uh, yeah, we're gonna pivot to assassins next month. If we get if our schools close again, <laughs> yeah, good. We're getting into the depths. Teacher history, teacher history this way. We started watching uh, Hamilton on Disney Plus, just a tiny bit of it. Like I think Charlie got curious enough about like all of this music, and I had listened to it in the car that we watched some of it. So, you know, stepping stone, exactly like Dave said. All right, yeah. I'll I'll remain positive. Dave, what did you want to say about how the camera moves in Encanto? Oh, I just don't like how the camera moves in Encanto. That's that's fine. Disney animation. No, no, because the cameras cameras are supposed to be cameras. Like especially if you're Robert Zemeckis uh, breaking other. <laughs> I, know, I know. Do you really like his uh, cinematography in those movies? I actually like it in Christmas Carol, where it's like, "Hey, what if there's no physics whatsoever? Oh, it, yeah, yeah. What if we could just drop down like uh, fifty stories and yeah. then pivot and be in the same room?" Yeah, no. I mean, I get it if you're doing like a you know Dream Pink Floyd's The Wall sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like uh, there's a lot of good stuff about Encanto, and the stuff I do like about it are the things that make it more like a musical. Like I feel like this is something that could be staged uh, yes. in the future if they need to. Um, and, the Encanto you know, musical the like is imminent. It has. To I be. feel like the choreography yeah. in this movie is off the charts good. Like the yeah. they dance the in the movie. The surface and it looks pressure. Amazing. Yeah, like yeah, like Louisa has like a full on like dance number in the middle of surface pressure, which you do not see coming. And then like there's dancing donkeys behind her, and yet it still works. As a dance I, number? I, it's just I don't like how the camera moves because I feel like it doesn't have any weight, nor does it actually exist in this space, like moving through doorways and things, which it's not supposed to. Fine. It's a very small nitpick. I like Encanto in terms of when we were like, I don't know, 10 years ago when we started this podcast, it looked like family kids movies was going to go the way of Pixar or really dumb. I'm glad uh, we've gotten, you know, some other animation studios uh, in here, even if it is just Disney get regaining its footing. Tangled was uh, like 10 years ago. That's a pretty solid musical. Yeah. It's David. Not, not as well constructed as Encanto, but better than Frozen. What is Asa doing I, if it's I not remember, singing? Singing along with things. I remember being very uh, pleasantly surprised by Tangled. Um, well, as I said, Asa is not really sitting through movies, although he demands we watch babies uh, and he will watch it with rapt attention the 2010 focus features release babies which made 10 million dollars mm-hmm. it's just feature it's just footage rather of four babies uh, over the course mm-hmm. of a year um what it says on the tin Truth <laughs> it really does. Uh, and a cinema score of a plus plus rare but it happens did he like the sequel um, boss babies he did not <laughs> uh and then um my wife tried him on March of the Penguins, which he was a little into more so than oh, most yeah. movies. I mean, I think that like nature footage. Is yeah, we had an animal documentary big gateway phase, for him for sure. But still, mm-hmm. babies, babies reign supreme. Um, and Elisa keeps turning it off at the scene where the baby penguin dies. So every time I turn it on, it's at the scene of a dead baby penguin just lying there at its dad's feet. And I'm always like, why the fuck would anyone watch this? <laughs> just immediately what is waiting for me. Um, anyway, what have I been doing? I have watched the entire third season of Netflix is Too Hot to Handle, which uh, was really a bomb for my soul. Which uh, one is that? Hot People on an Island is, somewhere? Yeah. And they, it's the, <laughs> yeah, it's Hot People on an Island. And the premise of the show is that they are brought there, they're liquored up, they all partner off, and then they're dropped. The, the bomb shell is that uh, they cannot touch each other or self-pleasure um or if they do they will lose large amounts of the prize pool that will be 
I, I think mm. initially it was shared between them, and now at the end of it, they really in a bit that doesn't work for me. They sort of like arbitrarily vote on a winner. That it's all about having nocturnal emission. Such. Yeah, that is that really is the secret. Although the there should be an after show of blacklight cameras in the room, just being like, "What is happening?" Um, I mean, in in the third season, a guy does crank one out. Matt Patch is watching Murder She oh, Wrote yeah, style in there. the shower, and they catch him. Um, so uh, yeah, so I watched all of that, and I did how do find they myself... catch him? Do they have cameras in the shower? Oh sure, but they also like he. This guy also like stated his master plan in the interview testimonials. Um, it's oh. a very produced show. It's one of those shows that makes you wish that they made a documentary <laughs> about the making of every reality show. Um, but <laughs> it, it's uh, you know it's it's all the dumbest people alive, and they're they're it's very silly, and I found it very transportive during these tough times when uh, daycare has been closed. You're investing again. in escapism, um, is that right? And I was I was a little. <laughs> Moved is too strong a word, but there, there is uh, you know, all the manufactured sort of bullshit character growth that goes on in these shows and these compressed timelines. Um, there's some part of it I it, it was able to work for me in the third season. Um, and I've been playing a lot of video games, um, some marginally for work, some... Wait, we're getting to video games. We're getting... Yeah, wait. We're going to talk about this later. Well, we'll get there. But I'm trying to think of what else I've been watching. Um, Besides Too Hot to Handle, which did... I mean, you went to film festivals. The, third season of Blo- to the second season of Love is Blind is coming out soon. Uh, yeah. And that's and where more hot people can't of... see each other? Well, they may not be hot, or maybe they're not hot oh. to you. It's hard to oh. say. You don't know. Mm. Uh, you just have to pledge <laughs> the rest of your time on this more. So no Olympics for you, you David? You're not watching hockey at the Olympics? Or are you well, boycotting? I'm really glad that you, that you asked, Patches. Uh, I do have a weird Uh-oh. feeling about... Well, the Olympics in general are kind of corrupt, but... Uh, this Olympics in particular and what China had to do to its own people in order to make them happen, it all rubs me the wrong way. And, you know, we just had the Olympics, but I definitely lost a lot of my interest. And also, like, as the the premise of this segment, our brains are all so fried and stretched in different directions that any sort of, like, appointment television right now feels difficult. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the NHL was initially, the NHL and the NHLPA, they were initially... A lot, a lot of talks about sending NHL players and really having to be sort of the best of the best in the world participate. Um, but because of COVID, they eventually opted against doing that um, because they didn't want to jeopardize the rest of the NHL season, which is already well, they sent the COVID kids problems. from the Mighty Ducks TV show. Instead. So they sent the kids from the Mighty Ducks TV show. We can lose these all, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, we can lo- excuse me. We're talking about hockey. It's hockey talk. I got. To, I had to listen to ten minutes about fucking Encanto. We got to talk about. Wait, no know, one's complaining about your hockey talk. What are you talking about? No, we can lose the Mighty Ducks. I said, not you. You can talk uh, about hockey. Yeah, he was saying. Uh, the, he's saying the Mighty Ducks are expendable. We can we kill lose the, the Mighty Ducks, kids. Anyway, <laughs> listen here. You can talk freely. Anyway, about hockey. I to make a long story short, whatever the hockey version. I appreciate that. To make a long story short, uh, they're using the two week gap. They were they were originally going to send NHL players to the Olympics. Uh, to make up many of the missed games that were postponed due to teams having too many players test positive for COVID um, so that they can end the regular season on time. And because the Rangers only had a very small number of games postponed, there was actually no Ranger game for two weeks, which means the players can heal. But it does mean that I have nothing to watch. That uh, you cannot emotionally And Amy Schneider lost on Jeopardy! And I was really into that with Asa. um, And I was sad to see her lose. But now, you know, until there's a new sort of running champion it's hard to think of jeopardy in the same sort of appointment viewing that it was during her run so you know it was too hot to handle and we'll be loved do you watch do you watch jeopardy by dvring it is that the only way to watch jeopardy well asa used we used to like 
when when Asa got less wound up before bedtime, when he was a little bit less manic um, and a ball of energy, I could watch Jeopardy with him and then kind of immediately transition into bedtime. But now that's too risky a proposition. So I we we you know the TV's off around that time. So you know uh, if there's another win streak and I get invested, I'll start DVRing it. Otherwise, I might just watch it when I can. But. I would like to get back into Jeopardy, but we literally never use our cable box. We just use all of yeah, the apps. Seven that PM we get into is a dead because zone. of our cable I subscription. Can't watch yeah, Jeopardy anymore. It's sad. Um, yeah, it's sort of time. But to the uh, the Olympics point, I don't know if we watched a little bit with uh, our daughter, and because we like watching the figure skating and the skiing and the snowboarding, that stuff goes down easy with kids. So we've been watching that. But yep. we watched the opening ceremony uh, or bits of it, which we also thought was going to be like spectacular, and it was. There's so much laser light. 3d projection like what they're what they're able to achieve these days in the opening ceremonies is, is quite incredible but to your point david the the china factor was really strange and even the nbc cut we were watching on peacock and yeah they, the commentary they stop talking about how weird it was is so strange and so frank and i mean i i'm glad like i guess it should be but there was a sequence in the opening ceremony where china had lots of different people from different chinese cultures and heritages coming together to show like how China was unified. And, if, and they even had a, um, uh, I believe it's pronounced Uyghur uh, athlete, you know, Uyghur at, Uyghur. Uyghur at the Uyghur. center of the like human rights crisis, like lighting the torch during this ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then all of these people are participating in this, in this sequence where they're like handing the Chinese flag to each other to show unity. And the NBC commentators are straight up like, so we want everyone to know this is propaganda. This is awful. Like America is taking a stance yeah. against this, and we really frown upon this moment. Do and yet here confused. we are there putting it on yeah, our streaming platform. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so I'm just like just to, to end this to, to end the segment on a related note, but uh, less uh, urgent. Um, you know, in a humanitarian Dave terms. Go? Did I, I, I go do. While you're ending the. I feel segment? like Dave's oh, pandemic no, check-in no. is primarily. In video Dave's going to end the segment. What is it? Um, no, I was just gonna say that I, I did want to, this is the only opportunity I'll ever get to do this. And it's something that's brought me a lot of pleasure, uh, in the recent past. Um, and there are three people maybe out there who give a shit, but the NHL network, similar to what Patches was just saying, even though it is the NHL network and I believe it is owned by the league and there's like a property of the league, the commentary, and increasingly it's done by former players and executives and coaches, um, who joined like, well, Kevin Weeks is a former player. He's the best, but he hasn't been on there a lot lately. lately. But uh, anyway, uh, the commentary is so frank and honest about other players who I'm sure they know personally about the success of other teams. They don't sugarcoat the failings of other teams. Um, they don't try to, you know, pat Montreal on the back because they're going through and they, they want to coddle their fans. Um, they shit on the Rangers all the time for overachieving based, you know, versus their talent. Uh, but I really, really appreciate that at a time when a lot of that kind of media does feel very soft. Um, so I, I haven't seen the Olympics coverage that Patches was talking about, but in the abstract, I appreciate it. I've been teaching myself new After Effects software techniques because eventually I'm going to try to get another job in television. Yeah. Because, you know, these shows that I'm working on now, you think they would have ended by now. And so eventually I assume they will. End. I don't think they'll ever. Or, you know, all of society. All of society will end first, maybe. Maybe I'm fine. In which case, I'd still know <laughs> how to do still know how to do some uh, After Effects hey, stuff. In the, in the, uh, but, after the apocalypse, yeah. there's only going to be more Teen Mom. I'm just letting you know. Like, That's true. It's not going to end here. Yeah. I did get that vibe from Station Eleven. We'll get but, there. Uh, 
lot, lot, lot of teen moms. See you later in this episode. Um, we will get there. Wait, to, to actually wrap up, I'm going to use my segment to ask you all a question that I've, I've been thinking. So this weekend I watched Eyes Wide Shut. Because mm-hmm. dun, dun, why not? I got because it was there. Dun, I got two hours and forty five minutes dun. to kill on a Saturday night, dun, and it was dun. dawning on me watching. I'm like, while I'm watching, like tons of people have an orgy out in an amazing mansion or something. I'm like, am I gonna go out again? Like, am I gonna do something <laughs> with a Saturday night ever? Again? <laughs> I'm gonna have these nights again. <laughs> Pat, I get this is a great. This is a three panel comic of. <laughs> Patch is sitting on the couch, reverse angle, its eyes wide shut, like Tom Cruise that- taking off his mask at the organ. Back on Patch's just thought bubble. Could that be me? We're going to go out again. That- yeah. Am I going to see the it's, world? It's I, will, so I will say, eyes wide shut may be extremely nostalgic for our New York, like walking around the East Village days. Uh, oh, yeah. St. Martin's Lot. Where's, so, where's the next it, party? It makes me thing so nostalgic for walking on a treadmill against a rear projected image <laughs> in of London, but New York. <laughs> well, I'm actually in London. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I so miss like when when patches will we have another opportunity to be asked by an orgy master in a red robe, <laughs> what is the password for the house? <laughs> you know, it's been two years since anyone you, has confronted me. Do they have kids in Eyes Wide Shut? The they do. Baby, and they have they a babysitter. Do. Okay. So they go out and party. Yes, they fucking ditch those kids. Not only do they have a babysitter, so in the beginning of the movie when they go to the like Christmas party, um, they tell the babysitter, we'll be home at 1 a.m. I'm like, what? <laughs> home at 1 a.m.? And then you smoke pot? And then you have a fight? Come on. Like, when am I going? There's really. I don't know. When am I going to get nope. a baby? I haven't had a babysitter come over in like two years. Well, I, I mean, do? that's a. Uh... I don't I know. Hope that, but like, I hope is that, anyone inviting uh, you to an orgy? Like, are you gonna like get a baby to be like, yeah, babe, wanna, we're like, going out? And then... I mean, I just want to go out. Somewhere. Like, oh wait, oh wait. How about this? You are invited to an orgy. Is the, well, are you like, okay. well, I, it's Do been long mask? enough with COVID. I mean, <laughs> you can wear the the slutty on that too. No, I guess my my big thing here is like, do you guys feel like your social lives have been fundamentally changed? By the pandemic, I mean, Ugh. for the parents of the room, we've already this been is, warped. Yeah, this is a loaded. I, do, I don't know. Patches, this is something that I've been I've been thinking about a lot recently. Talking to Elisa about, talking to my therapist about, talking to myself about in the mirror, Joker style at night. Uh, that yeah, I mean, there was there was fortunate timing in a way for when Ace was born, November 2019, because we were able to have a few months where people got to meet him, come over, and the pandemic started, and everyone was shut inside, and we wouldn't have been going anywhere anyway. And everyone was just sort of forced to live at the pace and schedule that new parents would live at. And we didn't have to deal with any FOMO. And the idea of reacclimating to our social lives or coming to grips with the fact that our social lives were gone as we knew them uh, was sort of put on ice for a while. And now, you know, there was a minute last summer, last fall, when people were starting to go out again. And we made our best effort. We found a regular babysitter. And then Omicron started, and now, you know, because of what's happening with daycares and everyone, you know, the under five is not being vaccinated, we are probably more sensitive and still feel like we're in this protective shell. And the idea of, of like, incepting ourselves, the idea that we can go out and have a life feels foreign to us just because it's, you know, we're so in this, this sort of shutdown rhythm and... It feels we're so brain fried. We're so spread thin. Finding the energy to go out to do things, to have recreational activities. I mean, I've had um, outside Omicron. of the home, I should go out it's to orgies tough. right now. I mean, wait, no. no, no, no. You you should, I do want to clarify. I want to clarify that 
uh, he was not invited to that orgy. <laughs> That's true. Uh, he he sort of you know, yeah, weaseled okay, his way. Into I, I want to go into the East Village there. at like one a.m. Go to a costume shop, stumble into some sort of like sex ring thing, get a cloak, yeah. and then go out to Long Island. Now, I, I've always related to it because I feel like if I were ever ever to wind up at an orgy, I would be sort of uninvited and maybe just sort of like tolerated. But everyone's in on the joke except for me, and they're all going to make a spectacle of me being there. So I I feel like uh, sympathy for Tom Cruise's character in that sequence. Um, uh, but yes. Yeah, I agree with David on everything, including this is a loaded question, because I think about this all the time and what my social life is and whether or not I have one at all. But I do highly recommend like going out like we had like we went to a concert last October, I think, like an outdoor concert kind of right before you could. We're going to another concert this week. Good knock on wood, provided nobody gets COVID between now and then. Um, the, the thing is, it's different because you got to get home and fucking wake up at 6 a.m. Like, that's the part of going out that you miss, I think. Like, you can Maybe get a babysitter and go out to dinner. And my my letter of recommendation is have someone go get married somewhere, and then you get to go out with your friends for a couple I, of days over I a I am weekend. flying to L.A. for a wedding by myself next weekend. Oh. Wow. Because um, I, yeah. I did some very complex uh, mental arithmetic in terms of figuring out, you know, the logistics of this and whether it was worth it and so on. And I ultimately decided that it was, even though I hate flying and I hate being away from Asa, uh, but it felt worth doing, but it's going to be very surreal. Even after going to, uh, maybe it won't be, I don't know. I mean, as I've said on this podcast, I think the weirdest part about traveling last summer to, to Cannes and then later to Telluride was how sort of weird it wasn't, you know, it's just, it's amazing mm-hmm. how quickly you snap back elastically to these circumstances. Um, and so I think it'll be the weirdest part. We'll be flying to LA just for like 48 hours, but I, I think it's exhausting. Yeah. 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 It'll be exhausting. But I think like the, it won't be weird to do things, um, but it's hard. I mean, I do think that a part of, I don't know, my social life as I knew it is, uh, is gone forever and it's been replaced <laughs> by something wonderful, but uh, you know, well, I do well, think I'll- that like the pandemic gave a much longer and maybe not always super uh, helpful runway for that. Uh, also, in all sincerity, this is where things like this podcast come in handy. Having people who you Aww. talk to every week. Highly recommended. Yeah. Appointment orgy. talking. Wait, what? <laughs> no. No. No, thanks. Our, t- our time for doing that was eight or nine years ago. Well, I'll tell Patches there's an orgy and then he can just uh, like have yeah. some time away from his family. And just, Patches like, is an orgy in That's East a- Village. Yeah. What are we hey, playing? Dave, Pokemon, oh, Pokemon. Pokemon. Me. Or I want patches, patches. No. I uh, want you to guide me through uh, explaining Pokemon Arceus to these people because... Uh, I have been in it. I'm very deep. I have uh, two non the last Pokemon left. So I guess three, technically three Pokemon left before I have completed my Pokedex wow. in the game. How long have you been playing? The uh, game's been out for one week? Yeah, something like that. Oh, so got, while all got, of us are living doom and parenting, you're, you've collected almost every Pokemon in a brand new Pokemon game. Yeah. I'm impressed. So basically, I've been waiting for it uh, because what I, what I, how I like these types of games 
is uh, they're very structured experiences that I could understand that have meetable goals. And if I just work long enough at that goal, I can meet that goal. So like, it's kind of like The Sims for me. I play The Sims for the same reason. I'm like, oh, look, structure. Because like, yeah, I don't know, it hasn't been this way since maybe I was in school where if I did the assignment, I would probably get a good grade on the test. Real life, much more chaotic than that. You could do all the prep work, whatever you want, and who knows how the thing's going to turn out half the time. So I play Pokemon as a calming uh, mm, method. So this like is listening, listening to podcasts, uh, going around catching Pokemon. This Pokemon game is a little bit more about uh, wildlife observation than the previous one. So it still has the fighting RPG elements, but it isn't. The story isn't based around basically like dog fighting with Pokemon. Instead, you're a researcher who is researching these Pokemon. And I guess sort of like Breath of the Wild, it has an open world, but it's in zones. It's not quite as massive as Breath of the Wild. And all the Pokemon appear in the overworld, which is great. And it didn't happen for the majority of the Pokemon games in my day. So it's that happy medium between the original Pokemon games and like Pokemon Snap, where you're just, you're trying to encounter these Pokemon more than anything. Exactly. And if something goes too bad, you could run away and there aren't a lot of things gating you on that. I've been having a grand old time just uh, running around and uh, experiencing it. Dave, what you're talking about in terms of the, the itch that this experience scratches in your brain, um, whether it's it's making a feeling of uh, of affirmation of like doing something right, or if it's just putting things in order or feeling whatever it is, um, it's something I feel intensely. I think it probably fuels both of our interests in the Star Wars gotcha game that we're not Star talking Wars. about during this during <laughs> right. this uh, podcast, but. Um, but it is uh, something that is addicted me to several iPhone games, and most recently a game that. Uh, I've been playing on my PS5 called Genshin Impact, which is a very big video game. It's, it makes billions. It's a free-to-download game, but it is grosses billions of dollars for its company every year that makes it uh, because character uh, people will spend money trying to roll for these characters. It's a Zelda-like, Breath of the Wild-like open-world game that in an anime style. It has production value out the wazoo. It looks beautiful. There are characters to get, all of whom are offer different things to to play as different mechanics that are fun to mess around with this incredible world to explore it's constantly updated every six weeks like clockwork with new characters and new zones and only three of the seven countries have been released and the whole game is is a chore i mean like every mission i maybe there's a deeper value to get if you follow the story and don't just like slam on x to get through the dialogue which i made a decision to do right from the start but they make you because they want to keep you playing keep you playing keep you playing uh they because then you're more likely likely to spend money they make everything as tedious as possible yeah what's the primary mechanic outside of just like collecting like is it a do you battle things it's like imagine it's exactly zelda breath of the wild but there is an intense gotcha element um and a world several times bigger than breath of the wild even um but still that same idea of like anything you see you can go and climb and dive under and whatever the fuck so uh and it's insidious and I, I I respect the grift and I, I love the, the artistry that went into this, but I, you know, I play, I check into it every day just to do my daily sort of tasks uh, <laughs> before getting absorbed into, into it for longer periods of time. And I played it a lot when I was potty training Asa and Elisa was quarantined um, and uh, put an ungodly number of hours into it just to get to the end game port part where you really are just waiting for more content and doing daily missions. But uh, I it it feels like such a waste of life in a way that I am very in it feels very palpable to me when I play it and yet even at my 
age, uh, I am powerless to resist it. I've also been playing for work ostensibly, although I may not have time to write about it ultimately because of daycare stuff. I've been playing a game that I guess can you talk about this? I'm still not allowed to talk about. Yeah, no, I don't think you can talk about it. I'm just flagging that for you. But, As a polygon yeah, insider, I don't uh, think you can talk about that. I'm, I'm playing, playing a new a game coming game, up soon. <laughs> and uh, it's not Elden Ring, unfortunately. Um, which is no co- oh, yeah. no comment think- on the no comment on the quality of the game I'm playing. I'm just also excited for Elden Ring. Um, yeah, no, I think and- I think Elden Ring might be my next thing because that's play Elden Ring. A, pretty hype for Elden that's Ring. a similar that's yeah. similar to a Pokemon itch just with like well, adult challenges. Yes. Um, but I but it, the video game thing in general is just it, it's such an easy and, and go to particularly for people of our generation sort of ingrained escape, but. It's also, I feel like, one of the first things that goes by the wayside for a lot of parents because it takes a lot of time. Um, and until your kid is a certain age, and no, but it's the perfect thing right for now. like 10 p.m. to midnight for me. And yeah, yeah. And I and I've I've been that is fair juggling catching up with Hades as I kind of briefly mentioned last oh, sure. week. And again, that's just like you could play that endlessly, and you do because it's over and over again. And you're and it's kind of like and grinding, did, yeah. but you're you're advancing at some level and. Lots have been written and discussed about Hades, so I won't belabor that. But uh, and I've also been playing Outer Wilds, which also is a time loop game that feels like mist in space. So I spend a lot of time just like drifting around, flying a spaceship, landing on random planets because that's fascinating. That someone has created a game where I can actually fly from one planet to another. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm totally zoning out. Video games somehow more interactive than films, but more zone outable. Um, I, I find it interesting. Dave, that you listen to podcasts while playing Pokemon. You don't, it's now such a kind of like background activity for you that you can do more than one thing at once. I feel like this is increasingly common. We have someone at Polygon who will remain nameless who will play a game, have a TV show on the background, and will also listen to a podcast somehow. And I find that like well, new levels of spacing out or new levels of si- multitasking while vegging. I, I don't understand. How I mean, I think done. for a game like Pokemon, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think that the other game that I'm playing, and especially something on the PS5 where they're using the haptic responses and your controller is communicating to you and you have to listen to an environment so carefully, it's more immersive. But I think they both offer their pleasures. I just think with these gacha games and Pokemon, I guess, and technically one of them, but it, it oh, does sure feel... It is. And Dave, <laughs> is it even if there's not like a, a money mechanic? Um, uh, like a pay to... There's not there's not supposed to be, but that also means that it's like the second best selling game in all of Japanese history already. Mm-hmm. Um and uh in order to get like the complete, complete Pokedex, you need save data from two other mm. Pokemon games. What? So right, in so, theory. But Dave, when you play Pokemon and yeah. for the especially for the amount of time that you have uh over the last week, like do yeah. you you're getting that dopamine dopamine rush. You feel like you're collecting the thing. It feels good. You want to chase that high, scratch that itch. But do you feel when you're doing that, especially when you're listening to a podcast at the same time, like you're frittering away your life? Or do you feel like you're doing something meaningful? Not so much um, because I think there's a difference. Uh, the, the Pokemon game has an end. So I'm working towards an end. And like, I think reading a book, there are certain things where you're like, well, I quelled a noble Pokemon. Time to give it a rest for the day. Otherwise, I'm going to, like, charge forward. So it's easy and dividable with, like, different uh, game loops, like that one you were talking about that is still updating and has unlocked all of its regions, or a Star Wars game, or even Pokemon Go, which is just the same thing, but in a mobile money-eating form, 
there's no end. So if I get caught, like if I play one of those games for longer than 25 minutes, that's when I start to feel like I'm wasting my life. Mm. So it's like, what am I building towards? I'm building towards earning digital currency through an experience, through yeah. repeating experience that is like mostly just tapping buttons. That feels weirder than engaging with something that's like on a gaming system and it's a, you know, a triple a game and it's like released by game freak and they, you know, have gone through all these things. I feel. Yeah. Like I mean, I think the, the thing that I think about all the time is because the star Wars, these mobile games and now Genshin impact um, are the only games that were played like this, you know, as a console game or a play games that you, you buy and maybe there's some DLC, but they're kind of self-contained experiences. But these are things that are going to go on for a while. Genshin impact is like a five-year roadmap. And I'll pour a little bit of money into it. Hopefully, not a lot. And I can't afford to pour a lot into it. I'll pour, you know, get away with the bare minimum. And but then one day they'll pull it offline. It will cease to exist, and it will all go down the drain in a way like like sand through my fingers. In a way that all life eventually will want want, but oh, a lot boy. sooner. And uh, no, but like it, it feels video games. like there is a palpable difference of like of like okay, I'm beating a video game. I'm beating Demon Souls. Let's say and. I will always have been, it'll sit there on that PS5. Maybe I put that PS5 into storage in 10 years and it's effectively the same as them pulling the game offline because I'm never going to play it again. But there is a concrete difference between like I conquered this thing, I engaged with it as a work of art rather than like I subscribed to this thing that was eventually pulled offline. I no longer have access to it because someone else took away the the time, the money, the you know effort that I put into it. Um yeah, that, that like I, I still pay Apex happy. Legends, but I hit like level 500, which is the level cap. And now it's either I play a game which is fun or I play a game where I get stomped by people that that's all they do now. And so it's just like, eh, that was my interaction with Apex Legends. It's still going on and I can still jump in anytime I want. You know, what, but I, what's wild I about Genshin Impact is that it's there's no PvP element uh, except for like some fun mini games. It's all single player. And yet people still feel that addiction to it even if they're not going into the grand arena championships against each other or something um, katie what are you playing on apple great. tv anyway. yeah uh i was going to endorse this game called populous run where you have a big group of people and they're all running down these tracks and like you have to steer it on the apple tv remote which is a very tiny trackpad so that's like a sure huge is. part of the challenge which is why i wind up playing it Instead of Charlie, um, but uh, if the people kind of like hit an obstacle, like that one person will just kind of like die, and then you just have that many people left. But the music is good and gets stuck in your head. I'm gonna find the music and Lin Manuel Miranda to it. Interesting. Oh uh, yeah, know. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just hear uh, it every time someone's like floors. My music. <laughs> it gets it gets stuck in our head on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, that one. Uh, that one is the one I have been enjoying most. Charlie has one called Super Leap Day that is like really loud and frenetic, and I can't handle it. Uh, so that's where God, he's I can't wait for your me. sons to start playing legit video games and for them to just like blow your mind away. It's gonna be. Great. I mean, I, I I feel like my my barriers are coming down for sure. Um, are you gonna be that mom who doesn't want their kids when... to to play games like no Game Boy? I mean, my they're house. already playing. They're already playing games. I've lost that battle. Oh, yeah. But there's uh, going to come a day when Asa and I both genuinely want to use the television and some video game system for our own purposes and, like, not in a cute, like, sharing way. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. get the fuck off. I want to play. I want to play Elden Ring. Uh, that'll be. You, you, that's that's, that's going to be the perfect that's time w- for you to circle back to Pokemon. No, that's when you buy a gaming PC, I think. 
and go into your Oh, Joe, just go the other no, way. Yeah. No, thanks. The war has Gaming begun. PC, his living room is now the VR setup so he can put on his headset. <laughs> Guys, this is all modern technology, but now it's time to talk about the apocalypse. What yeah, if it all went away? I want to be the best there ever was to beat all the rest. Yeah, that's my cause. Electro Diglett, Nidoran, Mankey, Venusaur, Adapta, Firo, Pidgey, Sea King, Jolteon, Dragonite, Gasly, Ponyta, Vaporeon, Polyrath, Butterfree. Catch em, catch em, gotta catch em all. Pokemon! I'll search across the land. Look for I just want to say that I remember damage. Oh, you remember damage. I'm living damage. I remember damage. Drink every time someone remembers damage. Duh. I mean, you're going to be drinking. If you're drinking while you're watching this show, you're going to be drinking that much anyway, I think. It's uh, Station Eleven. It's uh, HBO Max limited series. HBO Max. Yeah. That's right. Based on the 2014 novel of the same name, but adapted uh, into, you know, your good old uh, novel I've not read. So maybe that's, uh, I shouldn't. Katie, you've read the book? uh, Yes, although I did have to go back on the Wikipedia page to refresh myself because it I listened to it, like which I have book. learned is a much worse way to uh like I I don't listen to audiobooks very often and I really enjoyed listening to it, but it has not stuck with me as much as I think as if I had read it. Mm. Uh but yeah, the series is out in its entirety, so I imagine we're going to talk about it in its entirety. Uh but it is a series that takes place in two time periods. One is the Opening days of a pandemic, and we start from there, except it's a more deadlier pandemic than the one we're in now. This one has like a 99% mortality rate. Uh, and then <laughs> deep into the future. I'm sorry, uh, description of that is just so worse. frank. It's like, hey, it's a little worse. Actually, in this one, civilization pretty much, collapses. Pretty much kills everybody. Yeah, kills everybody. Somebody's overseas uh, for a business trip, and then two days later, they're trying to charter a boat in order to escape. I, the country they're in. I just like everything fell apart. That's quickly. just what happens. So, I mean, work in logistics. Yeah, that happened in our pandemic on, on the Storm podcast, which David has listened to. We talked to Bai Ling of Lost. Uh, Wait, how was that? It was wild. Don't listen to the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> like a few weeks after the you know the lockdowns had started, <laughs> and she told her harrowing story of trying to you know fly back from her international uh, sojourns and uh, beat all the lockdowns on our way back. I feel, anyway, the second half of this story okay, takes place uh, in the future. Station 11. Check. Uh, with a traveling theater troupe called uh, the Traveling Symphony um, uh, that goes around performing Shakespeare uh, for settlements that have uh, established themselves after the fall of civilization. And uh, also, there seems to be uh, these settlements have gone in some different directions we have a museum of civilization which is sort of trying to hold on to things as they were uh before as much as possible and a mysterious person called the prophet who is very invested in the new world uh at the expense of uh shedding the old one i guess would be a and way dave what does it. what does all this have to do with a graphic novel uh that's a ur text uh station 11 is the uh comic book that appears in the series uh, that is often referenced, and occasionally we see its lead uh, spaceman make an appearance on the show uh, as part of visions of characters who are experiencing similar things to our uh, titular spaceman. 
But yeah, Station Eleven is a graphic novel that we don't actually get the full story of, but it is referenced enough that we sort of realize uh, the different circles that fiction puts itself in, uh, possibly centuries apart. Now, would you say what is different circles that fiction? What does that mean? Well, because you got like Hamlet, and then you've got our Station Eleven TV show that we're watching, and then you've got the uh, actual um, like comic that they're using as almost like a holy text uh, for the two main characters. Um, So about the different functions that that uh, fiction can play, and yeah, and how they all sort of, uh, or at least for me. It was very similar to uh, Drive My Car, where there's like fiction has a certain amount of vague truthiness that can be applied very sharply to very specific situations, but fiction almost uh, needs context in order to exist. Like you can't just pull it completely out of itself. I don't know. It's it's a post-apocalyptic show that does isn't like sitting down. It's like David Cross doesn't show up and go, time to talk about fiction. But I do think by the end of the show... It's laid in all of its themes very, very nicely, uh, especially with uh, sort of where it decides to set its climax and what that climax is. But speaking of the fiction or text, the the fiction within the fictions, how many of you think that Station Eleven as a graphic novel, which is in the book uh, or in in the show, rather, perceived as a book powerful enough for those who read it to sort of inspire them to transform the world it becomes this biblical text i have a but lot of uh, enough for the for the for the children who read it i have a lot it. of That's the yeah. important part, i will right? say it's like the it, illustrations it, it, it does are it does resonate with the children yeah yeah but um, like it it's about it's being interpreted and focused on by children specifically which i think is important right which is why i think like, that is not important. since frank miller's important. the dark knight returns have people been so captivated and devoted to graphic <laughs> novel uh text i mean it's very it seems very basic the art is beautiful but it's speaking mantras to young damage. children. Yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to be blunt. Well, you've read the Bible, right? right. No, exactly. That's, that's 100%. 100%. And well, the best scene in the whole show. I mean, I do think we should get a little spoiler here at some point and, and talk about the whole scope of it because it is so beautiful and so wonderful. And I really, I loved it. But my favorite scene has to be Amish Patel as Jivan, one of the main characters in the show, who I hope Jivan. Oh my Jeevan. God, they say his name out loud Jeevan. so many times. Jivan. What did I say? Jivan. 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 I think I think Jivan and Jivan is not that different. But anyway, Jivan. Uh, he's 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 <laughs> All like right, mate. He's like crawling through the uh, he's like crawling through the snow, screaming about how pretentious the book is. And I'm glad that the show has awareness that this book is both full of shit and super meaningful for obvious reasons. People, it's it's everything. The book is meaningless and I don't, complete, I, full of meaning. I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but I don't think that one sort of safety hatch that they give themselves with that line uh, undoes the the holiness that is afforded this text throughout the rest of it. In a, in a post-apocalypse, in post, I, I mean, that's like a Matt Patch's pronunciation, in a post-apocalypse where every book ever published is still available uh, to people, so long as they can procure a physical copy, uh, it always struck me as odd considering that they still have access to the Bible, if that's going to be your... I think you're cinema-sinsing it up a little bit here. Uh, Yeah, not if you're trapped in an airport or in a snowy cabin. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, every... I, I, someone who also enjoyed the show quite a bit, even though I shared uh, some other grievances, friends of ours were 
saying online uh, with its lost inspired structure. I, I don't know if the non-linearity always served it well. And it's one of the major changes from the book. Um, you know, how extreme they, they make it and the connections they forge between the characters. Uh, in, there are episodes like the one that entirely takes place in Jeevan's apartment or Jeevan's brother's apartment, rather, uh, that it's very effective, uh, particularly how they segue into and out of that episode. Uh, but there are others where I found it more trying um, and hollow than anything else. But the the every time someone says, I remember damage and the, the, the world stops for um, the special attention they afford that book, it, it made it hard for me to... It put actually an additional layer of distance between me and the character who authors the book um, and trying to understand her mindset and her role in all of this. But you just said in my monologue, I felt like the show was more than the sum of its parts for me. And I felt a really sweeping power to how it all coalesced. I'd say this end, feels so micro strands. for what this show offers. Um, and it's, <laughs> well, funny. it's a show that like I, I rolled my eyes at a lot along the way. But respected the long game and the emotional yeah. title swell that it was sort of building as it went along. Well, let, let's let's back up a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask you guys. I held off watching the show for a while because I was like, why would I? Why would I engage with kind of like pandemic blunt force trauma uh, entertainment right now? It's just not what I would want to go through. Um, so I didn't watch it, and then people were glowing reactions. Like, I guess I'll give this a try and and the first episode is quite harrowing it is a flu pandemic decimating the world and all the and from a personal standpoint like i think what where the show excels it's it's not roland emmerich's flu pandemic show it is uh two people trying to get through this yeah no thank god it's (laughs) not that um it's not even contagion i wouldn't say but um in in the first episode Jivan and meets young Kristen. What is it? Oh my god. What is it? Jivan and Kirsten. Jivan. Jivan. Kirsten. Their names are said so many times. I'm not into names. I'm into moving pictures. (laughs) Fuck this. I'm into feelings. But anyway, like the show is the show is squarely on them from the very beginning, even as all this all this destruction is playing out. And I don't know. I'm wondering how you stomach all that trauma. So removed from it. Yeah, they escape from um, it very like, quickly. Yeah, and it's like happening kind of like in the background around them. Not that they're oblivious to it, but like they are little bits of normal as things fall apart around them. I mean, in in that episode, and then um, and this is where I, I, I confess I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but I tried hard. <gasps> the last one I you have watched, watched, you've I read just, the book though, so you are have I read the book. Leg up. And we'll see how spoiler you guys get at the end. But um, the yep. episode in the airport, um, where it's like them watching it begin again there's every scene of them talking about the flu not wearing masks stressed me out so much just watching them be like no you guys yeah, i i you could still speak to this i would imagine although i it does make me wish that you had seen the whole thing but the, uh me too um, i tried yeah, yeah. And, i don't know if you I, heard I, there, um a day there are no close. other distractions in life right now how dare you <laughs> not watch all nine episodes of this thing how many is it nine eight seven ten, i, I can't even remember ten right? several ten ten yeah, it's usually ten, ten. Yeah. uh whatever it's several weeks ago it's several daycare closures and reopenings ago Um, but reading the Wikipedia page, which is of course the best way to internalize any piece of media (laughs) for the novel, you know, this is, if I were the author hearing me say this, I would die inside and, uh, I apologize. Um, but it, it felt to me just from the, the broad synopsis that the changes in the show were so much for the better 
that like there was so much more sort of emotional texture to the or at least the plot i can't speak to the writing and how you know the, the power and the, how people love this book by the way of it was yeah they yeah. do but like the the way you know they really did a sort of everything is connected jj abrams pass on the story and that could go one of two directions and i think there are a lot of times where it felt a little tinnered to me and canned but as i said it's overall power uh really swept me away by the end and there are connection major connections at the root of the show that are non-existent in the book and you have already seen those take root Katie, in the episodes that you've seen. And I yeah, wonder but I also if, remember if there being a lot like... of connections in the book. Like, I remembered pretty clearly most of the major connections that um, I've seen in the show thus far. Maybe I'm, like, forgetting. Well, one of the major changes the is that they, that Jeevan and Kirsten split mm-hmm. up early on in the book, right? Like, they don't stick yeah, together. Yeah, that they, and yeah, here, that they stick together that long. Jeevan yeah. becomes the, like, accidental caretaker to this young girl and they live in an apartment for many months and then go venture out into the tundra and it's like and then they then eventually they they split up and and night but like yeah i i'm surprised that they took such a dramatic change to the to the text but it seems for the better because mostly because these two actors uh hamish patel who i don't know he gets the tom hanks award for being just the most Every man, glowing, charismatic. I just—he's a movie star. I just absolutely love watching him flail. And there's a scene, early, I think, in the first episode where they go grocery shopping, and just like him trying to navigate this as a protector who has absolutely no goddamn clue what's going on is so shocking and real. And I, I love his performance. And later in the show, he—you know—he comes back in in the present era, um, and it's and it's quite moving too. And then this young girl that they've discovered. You know, in the show, she is an amazing actress, right? She's performing yeah. uh, King. What are they in King Lear? I can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah. King yeah. How do okay? Yeah, another Bernal, another cinema sense thing. Uh, another cinema sense thing. Really quick. I hate myself for doing this, but I could not get over it. Oh Even God. in the post-apocalypse, understanding that this is just what they do with their lives. The idea that everyone in the traveling circus and the people symphony. they sort of like rope into it along the traveling symphony, rather. And the people that they rope into it along the way at certain points has memorized Hamlet. What? <laughs> Let alone whatever Wait, other Shakespeare. They, you don't think they have a copy of Hamlet? They definitely have also, a copy. Like, no, they all, te- Teenagers no, no, memorize uh, Hamlet. Like, all they no, no, have they time, all they spend, every role What of else Hamlet. are they going to do? And, but, they do it every that, year. Not just that. That's their job. Wanna, That's like being get, like, David who I, works I, for IndieWire and he's I always understand. fucking watching movies. <laughs> I, I, I respect that. I understand. But they... They even wanted that rain of fire scene where they're like, they tonight's performance is Star Wars. They, they bring other people into the show at two, at least two different junctures in the series. One in the finale. Uh, so we, okay, yes, that was about. very hard. And that person, too, <laughs> has word-perfect memory of Hamlet. All right. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I'll give you credit. But anyway. also, I'm like, how does he know guy, Hamlet? <laughs> that one guy in the second episode uh, auditions with Bill Pullman's speech from Independence Day, which you know you have memorized, too. It's not just Shakespeare. Bill Pullman's Speech from Independence Day, and I say this especially rather in the wake of seeing Moonfall, is not Hamlet. It's both shorter <laughs> and not quite at that level. That's the point of the entire series, yes, I think, yes. because it is. It is Hamlet if it's in that situation. They want to hear Bill Pullman's it's Independence Day speech. It's shorter than Hamlet. Don't, don't it is, it get is, cute. It is, it is shorter than Hamlet. And, we'll and that. that's the reason that that character you're talking about seemingly learns the lines is because he's living close enough to the part that he plays that's the whole point of that finale 
is that everybody falls into like these little fictional loops that they play out for each other, either knowingly or unknowingly. And hmm. you're like, you're always saying the fucking lines. I, I remember damage is a fucking line. It's a, it's a creed that the children use to identify people. It's like all of these things is how do we use fiction? What things of those fiction are inherently going to be preserved because of what the fiction is? And what things are going to be changed based on who's contextualizing the fiction? And I don't think it gives specific answers on any of those things. But I do think it poses all of those questions. I, I'm very glad. Well said. What happens happen. if you forget damage? <laughs> David David keeps puncturing this and um in a negative way. I I, I do think this <laughs> no. show is is quite an achievement. It's it's definitely the thing I've watched in the last year that continues to stick with me. Maybe even more than the movies I've watched. Um, and maybe it's it's has to do with timing at the end of the year or I, I don't know being so close to home with the pandemic. But uh, I was I was kind of enthralled by the scope. I think it really is successful. You're talking about the Abramsification of everything is connected. It doesn't have that stink on it to me. It doesn't feel manufactured, <coughs> even when these characters are stumbling into each other's lives and there's echoes and there's moments where you're like waiting for these people to realize they're standing right next to someone they've known for their whole life. Um, I don't know what mm. it is. Uh, I, I, I guess it's just strategic storytelling. It's just telling us the right information at the right times that sells that stuff. The most, I think the characters are deeper than anything Abrams or any of, uh, or Lost or any of these other kind of like mystery box shows have been able to come up with. Um, and maybe that's the novelistic perk of Station Eleven, but I, I think these characters are well, deep. Well, can, by... can we talk about the ending? Well, well let's get I there. I can take once... my headphones off for a second. I mean, if you are worried about spoilers, I don't want to talk about the ending. I, 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 I want to talk I, about the I, show. I don't know if it's worth talking about. I actually want to talk about the show. It's not going to listen. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about the yeah, ending the yet because I want to talk. I want to talk about the actors, and I want to talk about. I, I also want to talk about the score. I want to talk about how much work Dan Romer is doing for the show, and how much like the empty space that he's kind of filling. I mean, the Beast of the Southern Wild. I think Dan Romer like carried that to the Oscars, um, and he's doing similar work sure here, uh, like making all of the emotional context work. Um, I, I haven't seen music work in that way in a long time. But I, I, I don't know. I, I wanted to talk a little about Mackenzie Davis in the show and, and hear what people got out of that performance as, as older Kirsten. I had this, I was totally disturbed and in awe of that performance. And I think it has everything to do with kind of a meta reason, which is it felt like watching the future to me. It felt like watching, you know, I have a young daughter and you get to see her as a young kid navigating the pandemic and then but you also get to see her like what she's like grown up and how it has warped her and how she remembers text messages and mm. movies on netflix Google Maps. yeah and she and but she also is completely wired into this new reality where she needs to fight people with a knife and she needs to perform shakespeare every night she is a bridge between the two worlds i could not get over the fact like how deep it felt seeing you, you know you said those parallels timelines didn't always work for you david but like i felt like i was staring into the future or something it was really quite profound the way that these characters I mean, lined I, up with each other and i to the show's that that you know, makes success. me i don't know if this is the most helpful question but we talked recently about yellow jackets and these to me feel like the two shows that at least in recent memory are most directly influenced by lost and maybe 
structurally that's i mean i think structurally the parallels are evident in both maybe um but there is an element of emotional manipulation with the parallel timelines that uh i don't know i mean it's it's i I, patches i hear what you're saying and i do think there's an undeniable power in it but what's the difference between emotional manipulation and just effective parallel well let's not let's not bring that let's not Go to that macro level because then you're just getting into you the said, idea. Of like I'm asking you about your point you just made. Okay, <laughs> I'm not just talking about my particular experience watching this show, but I uh, I also want to say that I think so much of it is grounded in the reality of the incredible performance. I mean, I think Mackenzie Davis is wonderful in the show, and the grit that she brings to that character that is sort of like a shell of armor around this this core, but it's not quite that dialectic isn't quite so simple because she's also such a strong kid um and you know she is actively navigating it in front of her eyes even the adult version of the character is still trying to parse like what is right what makes sense how to be vulnerable how to move forward and and it is something that pays off for me even in a way that is extremely emotionally manipulative manipulative uh in the final episode in ways that i won't reveal but it's a beat that is not in the book um that couldn't be in the book and you know it's it's underplayed and it's 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 done with tact but yeah i mean a, a lot of it made me feel like if we had watched the story and whatever i mean that's not it, it is what it is i mean i think if we had seen the story straightforward is not necessarily a valid criticism because the story is in how it's told um but and that is the substance it's not you're just like the the how they've organized things but yeah there were definitely moments where it felt like it was being nonlinear for the sake of goosing easy drama out of the situation that was already so dramatic and i did find that frustrating particularly in regards to the the characters from the earlier timeline wanting to know more about this woman who was gal garcia bernal's uh sort of ex-flame who wrote this great graphic novel and um what her trip was like and she runs into timothy simmons (laughs) and uh what his whole deal is and like there, there's a lot going on that I feel like we're sort of denied access to in the service of this greater tapestry and the sort of cloud atlas like. Uh, but she tells the stories of her family. She thing is like yeah, it, it is powerful in the life. macro, but it, it always it often felt to me, except for in like the, really the, the the purest moments where everything coalesces, like you could see the the work being done, like it was all sort of um, designed like this sort of reverse engineered from the emotional effect of what they're trying to do um, in a way that maybe the plot, which I, the novel rather, which I was impugning having not read like an idiot earlier um, <laughs> was not guilty of. I don't know, but mm. I, the show worked for me. I, it did. It just along the way, I felt I s- like I was being yanked by the collar a little bit. I sort of felt what you felt like, but what I kept telling myself and then Java who watched it after me was like, this is a limited series. Like, they're shooting shots they're going to pick up. But, like, I was equally as frustrated where it's, like, episode four, cliffhanger in the future. Episode five starts, you're not going back to the future for another hour. Like, fuck you. And for a second, I was like, oh, god damn it. But by the time that started happening, like, a second time, like, I think episode nine also leaves us somewhere and then jumps back a little bit. Um, I was like, okay, I'm more willing to go with it because... Honestly, if it were a in the linear show. timeline, that's like right. You're but even, even the if it were of a TV show, well, no, even if it were a linear television show, I don't know if I could take five episodes of that pandemic. You know, right? You like you yeah. kind of need to also see stuff on the other side because I think so much of what 
makes this watchable in a pandemic time is that it's about hope. It's yeah. about flourishing of society and humanity after the worst has happened. And I think you need that from the very beginning. Um, you know, that first episode is really intense, but then you end just on that one note of her reading the book in the future and the, the traveling symphony is hard and weird and like bad things are happening to them. But like what their whole, what's their thing? Um, survival is not enough. Uh, no, what is yeah. it? Survival that, is insufficient. Survival is insufficient. Yeah. That like, that the human spirit to create something beautiful still exists. And I think you need to, you need to jump back to that from time to time. Yeah. It lets you exhale on some level and like yeah. embark on the yeah, rest Yeah. Look of at those amazing show. Hamlet costumes they make. They're really dope. Like that thing Mackenzie Davis has with like the, like the golf gloves, like her. Yes. That's like, awesome. Armor. That's some hook ass shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think because it's a limited series, you know, and because they were dealing with one story and they knew what they had to hit, they made some television choices. And maybe from episode to episode, it doesn't work. But I think when it does start climaxing, the whole piece climaxes, not just an episode. Whereas something like Lost or Yellow Jackets, that's more of a show that I'm judging from episode to episode. If that episode doesn't work, we may never go back there again because they're fucking weird mystery shows. Uh, this one is much more of a web, I think, that's expanding and therefore maybe messily. Because again, it isn't a kind of show where at the end you're going to be like, and, you know, it was Jacob on the island all along. Adios, everyone lives right. happily There's no real after. mystery. I described it as a mystery box show earlier, and it's it's really not, right? right. Uh, it's not building toward that. Maybe it's more building towards the tension of when groups start intersecting with, like, different motivations and what people want to make of this future. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite episodes is... It would be. It's. It is not a bottle episode. I was about to say that. That is absolutely not true. These are just. There are. There are episodes that are like movies. Um. And one of them is the society being built out of a gate at an airport, and starting from the minute of the pandemic all the way to the present day future, essentially. Um. And how you build a society within an airport. Uh. I found that deeply fascinating. Uh, and, and often I would go from watching Station Eleven to watching YouTube videos about like how to cook bread four ways, only using a campfire. Because uh, I'm now really into doomsday prepping. Uh, this one real, this show got in my head. I'm, I'm lost. I'm ready. I got. I got to get some skills just immediately. Honor, just to honor the rule of threes, I, I have my my third and final completely uncharacteristic CinemaSins observation, which is. Okay. I don't work in logistics, so I, I don't know what that field entails. Apparently quite a lot. They have a lot of special access. Uh, but w how would you get in touch with the pilot of a plane halfway across the world? She has a satellite uh, phone. Jurassic Park told us anything. She has a satellite phone. Okay, there you go. She has a satellite phone. <laughs> you can call anyone from a satellite that phone. That was impressive. A few like bleep, bleep, blorp, and she's in the cockpit with the pilot. That was... Uh, Maybe as a way of closing, uh, there's a lot of post-apocalyptic literature that I've, you know, engaged with, both in an adaptation form and its original form before the pandemic, and it always seemed that in the ones of those that became popular, be it like The Walking Dead or The Road, uh, or maybe even Sweet Tooth, uh, depending on where that television series parts decides to go, there's always this emphasis on like in the post apocalypse, there's going to be somebody that's literally the worst human and our <laughs> good humans are going to run across this worst human and we're going to figure it out. Like they have a harem or they have a something or they're like dissecting children, like all these things. Uh, Station 11 has some like horrifying things in it, but none of these characters are the scary archetype of 
Negan of the Walking Dead, who's evil just because he needs to be evil. I think everybody, uh, by the basis of the flashbacks and the way the story is structured, uh, at least gets fleshed out in that way. And so I kind of like that we're on the wheel, that we're in the circle, that it, it's even though it could be big, we're really just with the people who had contact with Station Eleven. And that's uh, the extent that our story is going to expand. We we never go, you know, we're never suddenly in L.A. to figure out what happened over there. It's like, who gives a shit? Surely they we have their own traveling symphony. Well, and think of how, like, if, you know, if the Internet goes down, like, how limited would your scope of your life be? Like, it, it's not trying to be claustrophobic, but it's, I think, capturing how the, the scale of the world shrinks. Have you thought about this? Like, if someone calls you, it's like, there's a flu and it's destroying the entire planet. Do you know where you're going to go or are you just going to stay at home? I mean, I mean we I were s- talking about this and airport doesn't seem like the worst place to be. I think they have a point. But I wouldn't like good. go I wouldn't like go to an airport though. You would hope you're there's in always an airport. the Yeah, there's a there's always a as living in Colorado, the roll of the dice moment which is like, do I go civilian or do I just head to NORAD? Because if I could, if I could get in like the high facility military thing, you know, mm. if there's still like a military, that seems like somewhat safer. But otherwise, like, if I'm doing it for myself, like once again, my place in the apocalypse is holding the door open for somebody who actually knows how to do something. That's I that, feel like you'd have long term issues is. being ruled by the military in a military base. I don't think that you would do well there. I mean, we're just talking about surviving. Like, no matter what it is, True. like even if it's the zombie apocalypse, being in a mountain bunker created <laughs> to withstand a nuclear blast seems like a good place. That's, yeah. You got a point there. Also, in the mountains where I could get resources. Well, that's the thing. Do you go inland or Resources the is the trick. What, what would you do on the coast? Inland. Inland. Really? Well, Dave's yeah. in Colorado. The coast is not really an option. Yeah, for- ports are going to be useless. I, everything I need is inland. Plus, I don't want to go through Utah to get to maybe something on the West Coast, so definitely not West. Uh, anyway, uh, Station Eleven. Matches, where would you go? Where, yeah, that's where, what I'm debating. Really? Should I go to like through. Long Island and and try and like live in the woods on the coast, or should I try and go somewhere inland? I feel like you can't. Station Eleven uh, assumes that you cannot stay in the suburbs, and because people will like raid your house, or it's going to get violent in the burbs. I think so. I don't, I'm not sure. Or do you f- try and form a collective? I mean, the, I think what's beautiful about Station Eleven and the airport sequences is that they find community and they and they build off that. Now, they also yeah. end up shooting someone because they are like, you cannot come into this closed off community and it becomes a, an issue decades in the future. But um, for the beginning part, it seems like a good idea to try and build off something solid. So maybe I need to like befriend my neighbors I guess I'm thinking my doomsday prepping needs more needs to be more philosophical. Like, what am I doing with myself? How am I contributing? Who am I partnering with? What can I contribute in a post-apocalyptic society? I thought about yeah. that. Like, uh, store enough I gas think, to get to wherever. Hopefully, you're they stay publish for a forever. newsletter That's, in the future, and I'll be able to. Uh, it's, yeah. it's hard to think. It's hard to imagine that I would be less useful in any timeline than I already am. But in the future, I think. Uh, uh, film critics are are only going to be so valuable beyond being able to tell people, you know, word for word speeches from Independence Day. Yeah, start memorizing your Shakespeare, Wars, David. Yeah, oh, you can oh, sit around oh, the oh, fire. Oh, God, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my thing. 
So I'll be the person who shows up to the traveling circus and I'm like, I know you guys are doing Star Wars, but <laughs> it appears you guys don't know everything about Luke Skywalker because you're missing some things. That would be my position, like the dramaturg of the of the post-apocalypse. Um, but I living in a time without Advil, as I always think when I watch a period piece or or a movie set in the post-apocalypse, it's no, that's a no-go for me. His name was Grogu. He was like a little frog, and we loved him. He was also a Jedi. Lately, I've been, I've been thinking, I want you to be happier. I want you to be happier. When the morning comes, and we see what we've become. In the cold light of day, we're... That does it for this week's show. Next week, we'll be talking about the Book of Boba Fett. Always a topic I know so much about. I'm going to do a lot of learning between now and then. Uh, does in the Boba meantime, Fett remember damage? Does they mention that? In the oh, book? yeah. Oh, he well, definitely the remembers Boba damage remembers of the damage. Sarlacc pit. Yeah, and the Tuscans. He also remembers. Yeah, he also remembers when his dad was killed on Geonosis, mm. a, a word I mm-hmm. can pronounce sadly. And yeah. I bet he's going to remember us, Cad Bane next week. <laughs> who among us has not lost a father on Geonosis? I remember Cad Bane. Um, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm uh, Matt Patches. I'm the deputy editor of Polygon.com I'm on Twitter. At Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to old episodes. Uh, what would be relevant for this? I'm not sure. You figure it out. Go to fightinginthewarroom.com. If, uh, if you click on our menu, it's a little arrow and it pulls down. There's a whole section called Star Wars specials. That's Did we talk like about Contagion? Be. We probably did. We oh, also talked about We have contagion. been doing this for we a also- decade, though. So. <laughs> if you just search pandemic check-in, you could line up all the pandemic check-ins. And I'm sure it's a very sad roller coaster. <laughs> wow, that would be wild. Yeah, uh, go back I, and listen to our like uh, March boy. 2020 episodes. Enjoy. Or just watch Station Eleven, which gives you a lot of the same vibes. Um, and a lot more damage to remember. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I'm the film critic for IndieWire. I forgive Station Eleven all of its suspensions of disbelief. Uh, and you can find me doing just that on Twitter, David Ehrlich. Better yet, you can find all of us on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Forget your damage. Listen to Fighting in the War Room. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also email all of us uh, at podcast at gmail.com, especially if you're leaving reviews internationally and we haven't read them. Because why? We can't see them. Thank you for leaving a review. Please also email to us, podcast at gmail.com. And thank you for going through those extra steps. We greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on Little Gold Men talking about the Oscar nominations this week. As you listen to this, you know what they are. I don't yet. What a thrill. I hope that I'm not too mad about them. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can tell me things about Boba Fett as I do my research. Or you can le- oh, you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Death on the Nile, what film would be better with Jessica Flesher solving the mystery? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. No, that means I'll have to leave.